We've had two people do that recently. James Rainwater put on his Lord and baptism on Wednesday night, and then Charlene Newton did the same on Thursday night. And while we rejoice with them, we would love to rejoice with you or at least begin a conversation that helps us to fulfill the debt of the song that we just sung. Into our hands, the gospel is given, and we'd love to be able to share the gospel of the New Testament with you so that you might know Jesus in a saved way, the same way that we do. This gospel that's in our world right now is not in any one book. It's not found in any one place. It's not in any one song or in any one movie. The reality is it's everywhere. It's in everything. And that may be the most dangerous thing about it. The people that subscribe to it and that teach it would not claim in any way that it's religious and its affiliation but it's probably in just about everything we see in sports and music in magazines and in movies and worst of all in the hearts of the masses people subscribe to this and believe its tenets without ever confessing faith in it or even on most occasions realizing that they have imbibed it and that they actually believe it even Christians who would profess that we reject every gospel outside of the one that's revealed in the pages of the New Testament if this gospel is phrased with just the right wording and just the right meme with just the right background. Even people who claim to be Christians and follow Jesus Christ are sometimes led astray through this deceptive philosophy that just kind of sneaks up on us and causes us to believe that it's true and to accept it. The reality is spiritual warfare is a real thing. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, the spiritual wickedness that resides in heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds and bring every thought into submission to Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 10, four and five. And so the fact that you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare should make us afraid of these ideas. But we should be armed because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And the more alert we are, the more prepared we are, the better defense we can make in the first century. Paul went throughout the region of Galatia and he established several congregations. And in the short time between Paul's departure and the writing of the book of Galatians, some individuals unnamed to us had gone in and taught something different. And Paul starts, as Caden read for us a moment ago in Galatians 1 and verse 6, by saying, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not really another, but there are some who would trouble you and change and pervert the gospel of Christ. And what Paul does for six chapters throughout the book of Galatians is he names the error of this false gospel, and then he provides the spiritual vaccination so that the people of God don't fall for it. Now, the gospel that's being permeated in our day is different from that one, but in many ways it's much the same. Satan has no new tricks, just new packaging. He's offering the very same things that he always has, and we'll be better off and better informed if we learn how to withstand and stand against it. This morning I want to show you not really the entirety of this gospel, but just simply eight tenets of the world's gospel and why every one of us, if we're going to be right with the Lord, we actually have to reject this gospel. The points will be the tenets of this gospel, but the substance of the points will be our rejection of it based on what God offers. Because you see, the gospel of the world makes humans the, the heroes and God the villain. But the gospel of Jesus Christ makes God the hero and humans the beneficiaries. The gospel we're supposed to believe and adhere to is not just better than the gospel of the world. It's actually true. Here are the eight tenets of the world's gospel and why we need to reject them. Number one, be true to yourself. 
This one is offered so much, people don't even question it anymore. I mean, people just tell you this. You should be true to yourself. And what they mean when they say this is only you get to decide what's best for you. Don't let anybody else come along and try to modify the way you live or tell you how you should live. You know what's best for you. Your interests, is your heart's desires, the things you desire to do. Be true to you and don't let anybody Anybody, not even God, change that. But the Bible tells us a different story. The Bible says you and I are made and not masters. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 100 and verse 3. Know you not that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We're the people made by his hands and the sheep of his pasture. No, the Bible says we ought to be true to our God. You start reading in Genesis chapter one and go ahead and turn your Bible there. And what you'll find is that human beings were made just like the sun, moon, stars, sea turtles, clouds. But on day six, when God made humans, he did something special. He did something different. According to Genesis chapter one and verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God made he them, male and female, he created them, and nobody can update that or do it any better than he did. God's made us in his image, and there's no upgrade to it. Genesis 5 and verse 1 has God saying about us, I have made man in the likeness of God. And God says, I want you to be true to me. This philosophy of the world, this tenet of the false gospel of the world says, be true to yourself. Go with your whims. Go with your wishes, because after all, you know what's best for you. You know, even better than God does. The Bible tells us that instead we should be true to the God who made us. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll be the one to direct your paths. Trusting in your own heart, being true to yourself is about as wise as it is to let a toddler walk Clifford, the big red dog around the neighborhood and expect that that toddler won't be drugged all around the neighborhood and ultimately wreak havoc. That's what we look like saying to our hearts. I want you to trust me. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. No, your heart is a great student, but a terrible teacher. Don't trust in your heart. Trust in your savior and in your God. The Bible says we ultimately desire to be led by him and we need to be. Psalm 25 verses four and five says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Teach me your will, O God. You are my salvation and my God. And for you, I wait all the day long. And though many people won't ever profess it with their lips, that is the heart's cry of every human being. You see, the gospel of the world says, you know, what's best. If you like it, you do it. If it feels good to you, you should engage in it. Be true to yourself. Reinvent yourself. Recreate yourself. You are allowed to give yourself your own identity. But the Bible says, no, that's not true. The reality is nobody is able to give themselves their own identity. And the good news is we don't have to because God's already given it to us. More than that, God never makes junk and he doesn't need an editor. The psalmist says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and my soul knows it very well. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. You see, the gospel of the world says, be true to you. Do what you think is right. Do what you feel. But the gospel of the New Testament says, no, ultimately be true to God. God knows what's best. You and I were made to glorify. Do you believe that? Isaiah 43 and verse seven says you have made us for your glory. That means everybody in the world who is not living to glorify God is living beneath their spiritual privileges. We were made to glorify God and to be true to that end, to that reality. And to the degree that we don't do that, we failed in our purpose of ex existence. 
St. Augustine or Augustine lived in the 4th and 5th century, 300, 400 A.D. He wrote a book called His Confessions, and Augustine doesn't get off the front page without talking about our need and our desire to long for God and to be drawn to him. And this quote that Augustine offers really sums up what God has done for everybody and to each individual. On page one, Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You see, the reality is every human has a God-shaped hole in his heart, and you can pour all of the world's resources into it. You can get all the hobbies, take all the trips, have all the experiences, climb every ladder, get all of the degrees, go to all of the places, and it will never satisfy you because you and I were simply made for more. Come and let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's our God. Augustine says, you've made us for yourself and we won't find rest. Our hearts will be restless. We will pull and grab and tug at things and they're never going to satisfy us because we were made to glorify The world says be true to yourself, but the Bible says how can you find your true life's purpose while you continue to reject life's provider? In him we live and move and have our very being. We're his offspring, Acts 17 and verse 28. The world's being dishonest with us. The world says you know what's best for you, but the Bible says here's the reality. You and I are worse off than we ever imagined. And yet at the same time, according to Jesus, more love than we ever dared to dream. All of the world's mirrors are cracked. They won't tell us the truth about who we are. But in the gospel, we look into the mirror of God's word and he says, here's who you truly are. Here's who you were really designed to be. And by faith in me, here's who you ultimately can become. The only way to truly be true to yourself is to be true to the God who made you, to love him with the heart, soul, mind and strength, because that's what we're here to do. Number two, reject the false gospel of the world that says only do what makes you happy. Only do the things that satisfy you. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter five. The Beatitudes of Jesus are often quoted. People take pictures of them. They hang them in their house. But this last one that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter five, starting with verse 10, is often left off, rejected and ignored, even by people who know the Bible. Because in this last Beatitude, beginning with Matthew chapter five and verse 10, Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. This idea from Jesus flies in the face of a world that says only do what makes you happy. Now, hear me and hear me well. God is not anti joy. The God of the Bible is not against our happiness. Actually, he's the source of all happiness. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. But there's not a verse anywhere in the Bible that says we should always and only run in the direction of things that bring us satisfaction and happiness only. Paul told Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy two and verse three. The reality is there is something about sacrificial living, about suffering and hardship that makes you and I whole as human beings. There's something about doing hard things and experiencing difficulty that is of benefit to us through our earthly sojourn, and we avoid it and evade it to our own demise. The gospel of the world says, hey, do only the things that make you happy. When things stop bringing you joy and immediate satisfaction, you ditch those things and go in the other way. The world preaches self-esteem, and Jesus is still preaching self-denial. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me, Luke 9, 23. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the son of man. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 44 through 45. 
Turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is a passage where Paul is trying to help the Philippians see how they really should live their lives. While the world is telling us, hey, live your life for you. Do the things that make you happy. Seek out your own personal gratification, the person's priorities that should be at the top of life's list for you. If you really want to know satisfaction and joy your own. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 2, beginning with verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or selfish ambition, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is the perfect human being, the perfect model of what a man should be, of what a human is all about. And Jesus didn't live for himself. Neither should we live for ourselves. Have you ever studied the Bible with somebody, been in the Bible discussion with someone, and they say something like this? Well, you know, listen, the Bible might say that, but I'm not going to be able to do that because evidently there must be more to it because God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy with that conclusion. That couldn't be all the Bible said. Or they read a clear cut passage on something about behavior or relationships or about their life's disposition. And they say something like, well, listen, God's going to have to forgive me because I want to do this. And that what kind of God would command something like that, knowing that most people that try to do that sort of thing won't be able to be happy living that way. If you have ever heard that or said anything like that, it's because you have digested the false gospel of the world that says you should only do the things that make you happy. And you should fire the God that suggests that you do anything otherwise. Psalm 81 and verse 11, the psalmist says, my people Israel, they wouldn't receive my words. They wouldn't receive my covenant. Why? They wanted it their own way. Jeremiah says, stand in the way and see. Ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way and walk therein? The people said, we will not. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. The gospel of the world says, only do the things that make you happy. Like intellectual sugar that gives you a hit of excitement where you only have this emotional ecstasy for a time, anything else, even if it's harmful to you, even if it would be bad for you eternally, the world says, if you like it, you should do it and you shouldn't let anybody stop you. In Romans chapter one, three times, Paul talks about God giving people over to things that are ruining them because they want it so bad. He says they want idolatry. And in Romans 124, he says God gave them over to do those things that are not convenient. They had a debased mind and it harmed them inwardly in their flesh. In Romans 1:26, he talks about people that have what he calls unnatural desires, men with men, women with women practicing homosexuality. And they say, we want it. We like it. It's our desire. We're going to practice it. And he says, God gave them over and they'll receive the punishment that they're due. Romans 1:28 says they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And so God says, if that's the way you want to go, it'll ruin you. It'll destroy you. But if you want to swap my hand and run in rebellion, then go. Reject the gospel of the world that tells you anything difficult is dangerous. Don't ever do anything that stretches you or challenges you or gets you out of your comfort zone because the Bible doesn't teach that. From about 1981 to the present, McDonald's has had these slogans, these ads and campaigns that just are kind of catchy. But every McDonald's slogan from 1981 to the present has always been about you having life just the way you want it. Their slogan in 1981 till 1983 was there's so much fun for you today. From 1991 to 1993, they had this slogan, what you want is what you get. From 1997 to 2000, they had this one. You know this one. We love to see you smile. And from 2003 to the present, they put these words in the mouth of the customer. I'm loving it. Now, listen, if the Big Macs don't kill you, the theology will. The idea that it's all up to you, the idea that you get whatever you want, it always goes your way. It's not true. Life doesn't work like that. 
God hasn't wired life that way. It's not always what you want. You don't always smile. There is hardship, lamentation, and heartbreak. Paul says no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself, Romans 14 and verse 7. Suffering and hardship can make us whole, and we run away from it to our own detriment. Life is not about only and always the things that make us happy. There are things that we have to do that sometimes will make us sad, but that might help somebody else to be saved, and we should do those things. Paul says, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they might obtain the glory of salvation in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. The world says only do what makes you happy, and the Bible says no, do what makes God happy. Do the things that God delights in, that glorify him. And if it just so happens that your happiness intersects with God, God wants nothing more. But if obeying God makes us uncomfortable and even unhappy, we should do what God wants us to do. This point is for everybody in this auditorium, but it's especially for young people. Ages cradle through the 30s. Listen, don't let the world tell you that difficult is dangerous. Don't let the world tell you that restrictions are ridiculous, that you should only do things that make you happy. That if you start to do something and it doesn't come to you naturally or easily, that's a sign that it's not for you. That's not true. Paul said, I thought I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And when he found the truth, Acts 26 and verse 9, he lived for that name the rest of his days. Our feelings are essential, but not a safe guide. They don't get to tell us everything to do. That's God's job. Don't let the world tell you only do the things that make you happy. God wants your happiness, but he wants your holiness more. Here's number three. The gospel of the world says you only live once. They tell us we were put here by accident, by a universe that never had us in mind in the first place, and we're going nowhere. And because that's the case, we ought to just live life to its fullest because it'll be over in the flash. The Bible not only teaches that you and I will live forever, but it also teaches us that what we do in this life has a great bearing on the life to come. Listen to Solomon at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or bad. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Paul says we must all appear before the judgment of Christ, that everybody must receive the things done in this body, whether good or bad. Second Corinthians five and verse 10. Reject the false gospel of the world that says you only live once. And so live it up now. Do whatever you want, because it won't matter when this life is over. The Bible says it will. Turn your Bible to John chapter five. In John chapter five, Jesus talks about judgment and resurrection a lot, but he makes one of the most comprehensive statements in all of the Bible about everybody in the world. This is for Christians, non-Christians, Buddhists, Hindus. What Jesus says in John five applies to everybody that draws breath. And in John five and verse 28, Jesus says, marvel not at this. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you don't only live once. You're going to live forever. I suppose movies have always had bloopers and outtakes. In more recent times, they've been shown more frequently where these bloopers come up. People made mistakes that were in the movies. Lines were interrupted and misspoke. Maybe there was a failing on the side of the actor or on the production. And sometimes we watch those things and we're funny. They're funny to us. But the reality about outtakes in movies is everybody knows they were never meant for production. These parts were cut out of the movie, left on the cutting room floor. Nobody's ever really supposed to see these unless they want you to just for kicks. It really doesn't count. Can you imagine? The look of shock and horror on people's faces at the judgment. I mean, can you just hear the collective gasp of billions of people who on that day are going to find out this life was not the outtakes. It really did count. 
Can you imagine the surprise that will sweep across the faces of the masses that they learn on that day? This was really the real deal. It really was all being recorded. Surely the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are engaged in a glorious conversation with themselves saying, don't they know that this life isn't all? Haven't we done enough to show them that they will live forever? Solomon says, yes. You've put eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. God is saying you will live and you will live forever. What you're doing now is not a part of the bloopers. This is the real deal. This life is the gateway to your eternal life. And God's keeping records. The most recent Time magazine was all about heaven. It's all about what Christians mostly think, but anybody religiously. Towards the end of the issue, it's about 86 pages. Toward the end, though, there's a story about a centimillionaire in California. He's 46 years old. His name is Brian Johnson. So far as I can tell, he's not religious. But he has one goal, to live forever in this world. He takes 111 pills a day. He wears a hat that shoots red light into his scalp. He tests his own stool samples. He's got millions of dollars, and he's spending a great amount of it to make sure that he never dies. And while we must applaud his goal, somebody needs to tell Mr. Johnson he's aiming for the right goal in the wrong world. You won't live forever here. It is appointed unto men once to die, but not after this, the extinction. After this comes the judgment. The world says you only live once. Live however you want. Do whatever you want. And heaven says don't do it. There is a great day coming. There is a judgment day and our lives. Well, we'll give account of them then. God does want you to be happy, but happiness delayed is not happiness denied. Don't throw yourself into sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness and think it's not going to be on the record books. It will. So Jesus says, reject their false gospel and live for now like you want to live forever. Here's number four. The false gospel of the world says life solutions lie within you. You can do it. You're strong. I told you these sound Christian. Even Christians believe stuff like this. You're strong enough. I believe in you. You've got the fortitude within you to do it. Pull yourself up by your own what? By your own bootstraps. But the problem with that is, according to the Bible, we're in worse condition than we think. It's not simply easy enough to tell humanity, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. According to the Bible, everybody in the world is spiritually bankrupt. There are no boots. We're spiritually barefoot. We're ruined. We're wrecked. We're destitute. Jesus was serious when he said, without me, you can do nothing, John 15 and verse 5. And yet the world says life solutions are within you. You don't need a divine rescuer to come in and help you. I know you've sung the songs, you've taken the supper, but the reality is you are your own solution. And heaven says, don't believe them. The gospel of the world is false. It's not true. In fact, the Bible is actually filled with passages that tell us we cannot justify or save ourselves. Turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 10. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah tells us what we really should think about this tenet in the world's gospel. Jeremiah 10, 23, he says, oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in a man that walks to direct his own steps. And you can add to that Proverbs 14 and verse 12, where Solomon says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. Oh, Lord, our ways are not your ways and our thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We cannot solve our own problems. We need divine aid and help to do it. And the world teaches us a false narrative that says you can't. If you're smart enough and strong enough and big enough and educated enough and born in the right part of the world and heaven says no. We sing a song about this. What can wash away my sins? What's the response? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. But change out that last lyric with anything else and see how the song sounds. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. But my good deeds, you don't have enough. 
Nothing but my family. They can't atone for wrongs not done to them. Nothing but my ambition. Everybody eventually wears out and wears down. Nothing but my own human goodness. You know the answer. Your success can't forgive your failures. We actually need heaven to tell us Jesus is the only person who can look down on you and tell you, though you have failed, failed yourself, failed him. It's okay, and I forgive you. The truth is life solutions are not within us. They come from above us. When Jesus lifted up the cup and said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is mine, shed for the forgiveness of sins, Matthew 26 and verse 28, it was really the hope of the world. When he was so terrified in Gethsemane that he was sweating and crying out to God with tears, saying, if there's any other way, if your solutions were the answer to that problem, God would have told him there is. They're smart enough. They're strong enough. Heaven's silence was deafening. And it said to you and me, life solutions aren't within you. They're above you and they have to come down from heaven so that you and I can be the people God wants us to be. Here's what we should be asking ourselves. Do you believe this tenet of the world's gospel? You see, you probably do if you know you need to obey the gospel and you say things like, well, I will once I figure out some things and get some things straight. That's like saying to yourself, I'm going to wash these clothes and then take them to the laundromat. Right. It's like saying I'm going to digest this food before I eat it. If you could solve it, you wouldn't eat Jesus. You probably believe this tenet of the gospel if you're at home and you're watching this on live stream and you've gone away from the Lord and you're saying next Sunday. I know I need to get some things straight. And before I come back, I just want to get some things right. You never will. You probably believe this tenet of the world's gospel. If every week, you know, you're suffering silently with sin and every invitation is your invitation. Just about the time until we start singing. And then you start to convince yourself, you know, I'm really not that bad. And what I'm going to do this week, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more well behaved. I could go up there and ask for prayers. I know the Bible says in James 5, 16, that the effectual fervent prayers of righteous people has great power as it is working. But I'm just not one of those people. You see, I'm not one of those go up front and really say I'm struggling. I've got this. And the Bible says, no, we don't. The Bible says the truth is we need divine aid. And the false gospel of the world says life solutions are within you. You can do this. You don't need God's help. And God says you desperately need it and you can't be made right without it. Here's the next one. Your outside is more important than your inside. I think every house or maybe every car has had or has one of these. The junk drawer. Do you have that? You know what I'm talking about with the junk drawer? There's old keys in there and papers and coupons and double ARP cars that have come way too soon. Like there's just anything in there and you only clean it out to make room for more of the same. You've got no desire of ever changing it. But if people come in your house or ever get in your car, they can't tell that the junk drawer is there. I mean, it looks good on the outside, but you wouldn't dare pull it out for everything that's in there. I guess it's okay to have a junk drawer in your house, but none of us can have one in our heart because God can see in there. He told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 when he went to anoint the next king of Israel from the sons of Jesse, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. God can see in there. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. Matthew 5 and verse 8, the world says if you just shine up the outside. I mean, if you make the outside look really good, you'll fool most people. And Job says in Job 13 and verse nine, will you be able to outsmart God? Can you fool him and deceive him like you would a man? What's the answer? No, we can't. But the world says, just clean up the outside. Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees because they thought that they were righteous and all they had were the externals. So in Mark 7, 20 through 23, he says, it's not the outside that defiles a person, but it's from within your own heart, your own thinking processes, come murders, adulteries, blasphemous words, cursings. It's because your insides are rotten. 
And there's not enough church services in all the world that are going to fix that until you actually give your mind over to divine reformation. He says, you guys appear to be righteous on the outside, but within you're filled with all kinds of greed and hypocrisy, self-indulgence and pride. Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Jesus says what actually has to happen to every one of us is we've got to change the inside first and then the outside. He is not saying that the outside doesn't matter, but it just doesn't work from the outside in like the world tells us. I know we live in a world of filters and of photoshops and effects, but the Bible says you can't airbrush the human soul. You can't manufacture yourself with a filter that will actually fool God. God says, I know the real you. And the world says, just keep cleaning up the outside. I mean, you just keep stepping in the shoes and walking the walk and looking right. And the Bible says, instead of trying to look like a disciple of Jesus, instead of trying to look like somebody that people would assume follows Jesus, just follow him. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes, which is hypocrisy. Luke 12 and verse one. Don't do your righteousness to be seen by others. Matthew six and verse one. Really be reformed from within, because if you are, the Bible says cleaning the heart just has a way of cleaning the hands. But it doesn't work the other way around. The world says start outside. And if you ever get around the inside, that's fine. God says major on the inside. The inside is more important than the outside. Clean your heart. Wash your hands, you sinners. Clarify, purify your hearts, you double minded. That's drawing near to God. James four and verse eight. The world won't ever tell us that, but God's gospel will. Here's the next one. You're better off spiritual than religious. You know, this is a new one, but it's the fastest growing religion in America right now. They're called the religious nuns. These are individuals who say, listen, we're spiritual, but we don't need any organized religion. We don't really need any group. We're spiritual in and of ourselves. Pew Research ran a study, and they released it at the end of last year. December 7th, the study came out, and this group of religious nuns, people who have fled from organized religion to do their own thing, this group of individuals, they offered up some of the things, and they would invite you and me into the very same things. They say they use crystals to connect to a higher power. They talk about praying to nature and finding them true and their true selves out in nature and out in the world. And the Bible says you're not better off spiritual than religious. The reality is you can't be spiritual without the Holy Spirit. And you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian and obey the gospel. Acts chapter two and verse thirty eight. What if instead of wishing on a star, you could pray to the God who made them? Genesis one and verse sixteen. What if nobody is ever going to get close to God except they come through the crucified son and surround themselves with people who have done the very same thing? See, the world won't tell us this, but the truth is we are our problem. We need God and then we need the people of God and nobody's close to him without both. And so the truth is that you're better off spiritual, but not religious. It's a morally bankrupt philosophy. Jesus says in John 14 and verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through me the world says there are other ways though i mean you can meditate and you can do all these other practices and the bible says the only way to truly be made right with god is to become a christian to obey the gospel of jesus christ nobody's too spiritual for that it's the only hope for the entirety of the world you're not better off spiritual than religious and when the bible talks about you practicing true religion james 1 and verse 27 it's not talking about vain exercises that you just sort of go through the motions and just do because they make you better than other people no when the bible talks about religion it talks about putting your faith and trust in jesus in such a way that your life is radically different than it ever would be you now live your life looking through christ tinted lenses and you see the world in a way you never could before And so John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me won't walk in darkness, but instead will have the light of life. 
two more. Number seven, the gospel of the world says only you define right and wrong. I don't know how much time you spend in the Old Testament, but if you read the book of Judges, you'll see this philosophy. Twice in the book of Judges, the Bible says in Judges 17, 6 and in Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes and it was anarchy and ruin. Have you noticed this, that today people often hear you saying things you never said? You say something like, hey, I think that's sinful. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I don't think that makes God happy. What they heard, you hate me and you don't love people. And I thought you were a Christian. Aren't Christians supposed to love people? It's because we've digested this idea. Only you can define right and wrong. Nobody should ever be able to say that this is a sin and this is objectively wrong. And I'm not better than you, but God doesn't want any of us practicing that. The gospel of the world says, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be God's person, don't ever say anything about anything anybody's doing. Let me ask you a question. What do these three people have in common? Ernest Henley, Frank Sinatra and Elsa from Frozen. I'll tell you, they all sung the same song or poetry to different lyrics. It started with Henley and his famous poem in the 1800s, Invictus. He says, I care not how straight the gate or how filled with condemnation the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Sinatra sung it. I did it my way. And then Elsa and what turned out to be Gen Z's really anthem of the century. 1.5 billion views on YouTube. You remember what she said? It's time for me to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. She had to let it go. Listen, all three, all three of them sung the same song. And however melodious it is, it's laced with poison. You can do what you want. Do it your way. You're free. No right, no wrong, no rules. I'm the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. And the Bible says the person who believes that is on their way to shipwreck. God has placed in every human heart. Objective moral values is downloaded on the human conscience. There's no way around it. Romans 2, 14 and 15. Doing things our own way, defining right and wrong for ourselves is bankrupt. Listen, our society wants to kick Christianity to the curb. But every single virtuous thing that the Western world has, every ounce of it has come from Christianity. All of her schools, all of her hospitals, all of her principles and values have come from Christians. Every one of them. And it's as if we had a lawful tenant paying rent and we've evicted him. And now months later, we still expect to get the rent money. But you can't have it both ways. You can't show Christianity the door and say, we want the moral values. We want the goodness. We want an upright society. We've evicted him and he never stays where he's not wanted. The gospel of the world says nobody defines right and wrong with you. But you and the Bible says, as for our God, his way is perfect. He defines right and wrong. He knows what's best. And his way is always for our betterment. It never makes our lives worse. Here's the eighth and final tenet of the false gospel of the world. And it is others opinion of me is most important. Psalm 19 says some glorious things, but the way David ends the psalm is epic. He talks about natural revelation in verses 1 through 7, special revelation in verses 7 through about verse 12. And then he ends, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be innocent of the great transgression. Now notice verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, for David, the most important thing was not what other people thought about him. It's what God knew about him. The gospel of the world says what other people think about you is most important. 
Even on Bible apps, everywhere, it's every, even in text messages, likes and loves and emojis and ha-has. We constantly need people to tell us we're funny or that we're good or that we're loved or that we're liked. And the Bible is saying to us, stop handing out customer satisfaction surveys to everybody but God. Listen to Job. As for me, my record is on high. The one who testifies about me is in heaven. Job 16 and verse 19. Yes, we need to be affirmed. Yes, we need to be loved. But the person we really need to love us most is God. Tolkien was right when he said the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. That means the one that is actually worthy of all the praise. When he looks down on you and says, I'm proud of you. When he looks down on you and says, I'm pleased with you. When he looks down on you and says, well done, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. That is worth more than a million earthly congratulations. And every human heart is longing for it and searching for it and needs it. And the gospel of the world says, hey, what other people think about you is most important. And your Bible right there in your lap says what God knows about you is most important. He knows the human heart. And what we really need him to pronounce on us is ultimately you've done well. You put your trust in me. You haven't lived for yourself. You live for me. And of you, I'm proud. You're my beloved son and daughter. And in you, I'm well pleased. The gospel of the world is not just misleading. It's selfish, it's disappointing, and it's in everything. It's not in any one book, it's in everything. It's in sports, it's in movies, it's in lyrics, and that probably makes it most dangerous because it just kind of sneaks up on us, and before long, we find ourselves marching to the very same tune. But Jesus came to show us how to truly live. He was true to God. He didn't live to make himself happy, but God. He suffered so that he could clean us up from the inside out, And he was raised again for our justification. If you need to become a Christian, submit to him. Be true to him. He's been so true to you. We're going to be letting a song to encourage us. If this is your invitation, if you know life solutions are not from within, but they're ultimately from above and you need heaven's help. And that's provided through your earthly brothers and sisters. We'd be happy to assist you. Jared's going to lead us in a song to encourage us in this regard. If you need to respond to the gospel that Jesus gave us. Do it now as together we stand and as we sing.